SiriusXM presents Stanford Pathfinders. Stanford has 225,000 alumni living all over the globe in 151 countries. And they're some of the most amazing people you would ever want to meet. A show about how the graduates of Stanford University are changing our lives and the world. We'll hear very interesting things from business leaders in the technology sector, but well beyond that. The worlds of politics, entertainment, business, and beyond. Inspiring stories from America's innovation heartland. It's a place where people look to the future, not to the past, where they don't rest on their laurels. Think about the gold rush. Think about Stanford being formed in the late 1800s. And then Stanford was the beginning of Silicon Valley. And the ethos of Silicon Valley is deeply embedded in the Stanford spirit. It's a spirit of innovation, experimentation. It's a spirit of being willing to try new things and risk failure as long as you fail forward. Welcome to Stanford Pathfinders. Founder of Boundless. The topic of legal immigration and what we're trying to resolve is something that people from both sides of the aisle can get behind. An immigration system disruptor. Gone through all of the different pains and sacrifices so far and the ones I'm going to make uh, with the idea that like winning here is to fundamentally transform an industry that hasn't changed in generation. This week on Stanford Pathfinders, Xiao Wang. Now here's your host, Howard Wolf. Immigration is a huge topic in America today. The topic is political, it's personal, and it is important. The United States of America is a nation of immigrants. At the same time, immigrants face steep hurdles in their journeys to become Americans these days. The process is complicated, the time commitment significant, and the legal fees considerable. It is a world begging for disruption. Today's guest on Stanford Pathfinders has built a company, Boundless, that is trying to do exactly that, disrupt the U.S. immigration system process. And they are doing so by playing the role of trusted partner and guide on the immigration journey of future Americans. Xiao Wang is a proud graduate of Stanford, having earned both BA and master's degrees in 2007. He later went on to the Stanford of the East, Harvard, for business school, and has worked in both the public and private sectors since. He founded Boundless in early 2017 with the goal of making the U.S. immigration process less difficult for aspiring Americans, and all indications are that he has succeeded. Xiao, welcome to the show. Howard, glad to be here. Thanks for having me. All right, so I'd like to start every one of these Pathfinder shows with the same question. And in your case, the answer is obviously well, having me as your academic advisor at Stanford. But the question is this, what's your favorite Stanford memory? Beyond the answer that you took already out of my mouth, um, my my favorite Stanford memory uh, is when we first started the D school. And now it's like an institution and has its own building. But back in the day, we were in a trailer off the side of Robley Field with a refrigerator, a beer, and a bunch of whiteboards. And we were being asked by Disneyland to make Disneyland better for non-native English speakers. And so for a couple of weekends, all I would do is strap a camcorder on, go to local theme parks and pretend to go around as if I didn't know any English and trying to figure out like where are the confusing parts and where are the, you know, moments of joy. Um, and that 
kicked me off on a whole career journey since around, you know, how do I build better experiences and how do I, you know, transform the lives of people who otherwise or historically have been overlooked. Well, I love that story. I don't think I'd heard that story before. So thank you for sharing it. And it's a perfect segue to my next question, which is, what exactly is this company you've started called Boundless? What is Boundless? Yeah, so Boundless is a technology company that is trying to transform the legal immigration process that fundamentally has not changed in the U.S. since 1965. And the idea is that we can, using technology and data, finally help people, all people, have access to the information, to the support, to the tools, to the level of confidence that they were previously only uh, available to those who could afford thousands and thousands of dollars for immigration attorneys. Fantastic. Okay, so why did you choose to start Boundless? And was there a, was there a personal background issue here that helped inform this? What made you start this company? Yeah, when I immigrated to the U.S. from China when I was relatively young, my parents uh, spent almost five months of rent money on immigration attorney that we never even knew because the stakes are so high and you only get one shot at it. And this is a story that is shared by millions of families every year that are trying to start their life in a new country is not only you have to get through the cultural, the language, all the other barriers, but you have to get through this gauntlet that is the, you know, immigration process by which you get, you know, the most high stakes application of your life. And you have no idea really if you're doing it right. And I've always just taken it for granted my whole life that the immigration process is by design supposed to be challenging and design supposed to be hard. And it wasn't until about three and a half years ago that I finally asked the question, why? Um, after meeting someone who spent $12,000 on her immigration attorney and had a terrible experience. And that led me down a, a rabbit hole of interviewing hundreds of families, lawyers, government and policy folks. And, real, and fundamentally, Howard, the reason why I started Boundless is I learned too much. What do you mean you learn too much? In the, it used to always be this amorphous concept that like, yeah, immigration is hard. But then once you actually hear the stories, once you actually like dive into the data and realize that this is an information problem that should have been solved by now, right? In an era where you literally have the world's greatest encyclopedia in everyone's pocket, the fact that people didn't know how this arcane and Byzantine government process works and have to pay you know, money that they can't afford for the privilege of just understanding the rules just felt to me like a problem that absolutely should have been solved. And so at some point, uh, I realized that this needed to happen. And so I, I was just completely compelled to make sure that this problem didn't exist for future generations. All right. So when you talk about this problem, Entrepreneurs love to talk about what problem they're trying to solve. In Silicon Valley, no one wants to fund a company just because the company is going to be successful. There has to be this underlying problem, but it sounds to me like there are all kinds of problems you're trying to solve. One, it's too complicated, so you wanted to simplify it. Two, it's too costly, so you wanted to reduce the cost. Three, there's too much risk, so you wanted to de-risk it. I mean, walk us through what the elements of problems that you were trying to solve with Boundless. I believe that people 
should be able to live the lives that they want to live and pursue it in the lives that they want to pursue. And that's like fundamental to the American dream. That's why, you know, my family gave up everything to come here. And that's why it's like, I, I believe so, so strongly in this idea of opportunity. And, you know, when you look at this situation of <clears throat> that there's these government forms that no one quite understands and that changes almost every quarter uh, that, determine if you're able to stay in the country, if you're able to legally work, if you're able to visit your family. Uh, that it, it felt like something that just absolutely needed to be solved. And I would say that we've been in an era, let's say the past five or so years, where, where technology and startups have gotten kind of a bad rap for either solving menial problems or making the lives of privileged people slightly easier. And I'm using, you know, gratuitously broad swaths here. Uh, but, <laughs> but, but like when I, when I understood enough about this problem that there are like millions of people on one side that desperately need a solution and no solution on the other where the, the only two groups uh, that know what's going on, you have the federal government and you have immigration attorneys are incentivized to maintain the status quo. Right, like this is a chance for us to create a, a product and a solution and an experience that can fundamentally improve and unironically like improve the lives of, of millions of families um, and create a new model where you can do good and do well at the same time. I think this has been the holy grail that like organizations are trying to do. There's a whole movement around CSRs and companies trying to give back to the communities when their fundamental offering or service may or may not be, you know, um, achieving that same outcome. And, and we the have a CSR about which you speak is corporate social responsibility, which is a big trend. Correct. Okay. Um, and uh, thanks for the clarification. And we have a chance where the, the, the actual core of what we do and every day, you know, we are helping hundreds of families, thousands of families, you know, be able to understand this process. You know, we're you know, helping a million families every month be able to learn more about the immigration system. We're, you know, are now uh, helping, you know, 10,000 families a year actually get through it successfully. Like our actual product and service is then solving a real need that can, you know, proved to be the foundation of a, a, a very successful, very broad and long lasting company. So two-part question for you. How important is it that you are yourself an immigrant as the founder and CEO of this company? And how, how political is your viewpoint on immigration and how is that informed Boundless? The first question is a little hard to answer because I, I, am, I can only be myself. Um, and I don't know what it would be like to start this company if I weren't an immigrant. Um, what I do know is that as someone who's been through this process and as someone who's seen friends, colleagues, family members struggle through this process, that it gives me a, a definite advantage in being able to have deliver that level of empathy and understanding of uh, what the right product and experience uh, is and what is the needs that we're trying to solve. And I bet your parents wish this had existed when they were coming into this country with you. Yeah, I, I, I hear this. Uh, the second, my second favorite piece of feedback from 
from, from, from my customers. The first one is obviously like, I am, you know, so thankful I found you. Uh, and then the second one is, uh, how come this, you know, didn't exist earlier? <laughs> Which is, a, you know, good indications that you're onto something. You are onto something. And how about the political Sorry. nature of what you do? Yeah. <clears throat> so what I, what I love about what we're trying to do is that outside of, you know, the, a, a, I will call it a, a vocal minority of nativists and folks that actually genuinely believe that uh, people moving across borders uh, is something that we want to avoid as a society. Um, that the topic of legal immigration and what we're trying to resolve is, is something that people from both sides of the aisle can get behind. Right? On one side, if, you, if you're more left-leaning, uh, we're providing access to justice, we're providing you know, guidance, we're helping families be able to you know, achieve their dream. And then on the right side is we are a private sector solution to a public sector problem where like no one wants the system of legal immigration to be more challenging, more difficult, more inefficient. Uh, this year, USCIS, so the US uh, Citizenship and Immigration Services, the department that handles domestic immigration, was asking for a government bailout, like whereas typically they are a uh, self-funding enterprise. And I don't think anyone wants a world where, like, argue however you want about the rules themselves. No one wants the enforcement of the rules or the processing of people within the rules to be unnecessarily complex, unnecessarily long, and, you know, uh, unnecessarily difficult. Unless perhaps you're an immigration attorney who makes their living by taking complexity and um, taking advantage of that. What's been the response from the immigration lawyer community? So we've been very active in, in partnering with the immigration attorney bar and associations on this topic for this exact reason, right? Because there are some fantastic immigration attorneys out there uh, that have dedicated their lives to helping families. What we're offering is a new, new model um, as, as all industries continue to evolve in, through use of technology, and especially now post-COVID through use of you know, remote uh, interactions. Uh, I actually recently gave a panel to the National Association of Immigration Attorneys about this as being the future of legal work. So we don't completely cut out the lawyers. Uh, immigration attorneys are an integral part of our process. It's just done in a way that uh, it is flexible and on the attorney's own time. So we have a couple uh, dozen immigration attorneys uh, that, that work with us. And what I love hearing from them is that we have enabled them to have the flexibility they've never had before. So one of the, uh, one, one, one immigration attorney, like her, her parents got ill and she had kids and so needed to take care of both. And at that time was working an off, uh, at an immigration law firm and had to go to the office every day. And so with us, she had that flexibility where she could actually do her hours when it was convenient for her and work out of the comfort of her own home. Uh, another immigration attorney wanted to, has always wanted to live in Europe. And so through us, she actually has an opportunity to practice her, uh, her field, but sitting on the beach in Barcelona. And what, we, what we've actually enabled immigration attorneys for the first time is this level of flexibility. And so that's what I get excited about is that, yes, there will always be people who need traditional full-level immigration attorney service 
And that's great. And we'll partner with the best ones and we'll help our clients. But for those who can't afford it, in their previous world, they go into an attorney's office, they're quoted $3,000, and they're like, I don't have $3,000. And so now they're stuck without le any legal help. And what we're offering is an alternative where you if, if you can't afford it or if you don't need it, that you can still get quality guidance and support and uh, interaction with immigration attorneys, but uh, in, a, in, a, in a way that's accessible to far more families. All right. So let's pivot here in our conversation and sort of change gears and head off in a different direction. How has COVID-19 affected your business at Boundless? I'll be honest and say, like, this has been the, the hardest uh, six months of my professional career. You know, in the beginning, it was terrifying to watch as your traffic and top of funnel, a number of signups and number of customers are dropping 15, 20% a week. Right? And you're trying to draw this line out and plan for the rest of the year. And you don't know where the floor is. Uh, and you don't know how to react. But one thing I did know is that, like, we had to act quickly. Um, and so we took, uh, you know, a very careful line by line approach to all of our costs and all of our, uh, you know, structures, and then reprioritize all of our efforts to assuming that this trend will continue. And we were very lucky in a way that we we're able to launch new product features, new experiences and reduce expenses without cutting headcount in a way that uh, enabled us to actually be in a financial better position by midsummer uh, than we were in, in, in April. But let me ask a question because I'm a little bit confused. Why would COVID-19 influence a demand for your services so strongly? I, I'm not connecting those dots. I would say that there's three main reasons for this. First is that uh, the government actually shut down processing. Oh, well, that would be one. Second part is that uh, shut down uh, travel. So international travel and the core of, of, of being able to like go from one place to another, it, it changed people's priorities around like where they want to live, how they wanted to move. And then the third is just overall economic uncertainty. So even, even despite our lower rates than traditional lawyers to file a full uh, green card application in the U.S. for even for family costs, uh, $1,760. And that is a, a non-trivial sum of money that uh, for, for you know, any family uh, to be able to cough up at once, not to mention in a situation where you're, you have uncertainty around your job and, and future income. This is Stanford Pathfinders. I'm Howard Wolf. More with Xiao Wang, founder of Boundless, startup that empowers families to navigate the immigration system more confidently, rapidly, and affordably in a moment. This is Stanford Pathfinders. I'm Howard Wolf, and I'm speaking with Xiao Wang, founder of Boundless, a startup that empowers families to navigate the immigration system more confidently, rapidly, and affordably. The government passed something called the public charge rule, which changed their evaluation of your uh, ability to, to be in this country, not from a how are you doing right now, but from a predictive, will you use welfare benefits in the future? So they and basically doubled the length of immigration applications to include your entire medical history, credit history, employment history, education history, um, <clears throat> and all these factors to try to determine and predict if you're if you're going to need work and, uh, if you're going to need help down the road. Second is that 
they they change the rule so that if you're missing items or your application is incomplete, uh, they can deny you and send you to deportation proceedings. Okay. Uh, uh, whereas in the past, they would just write to you a letter saying, hey, you're missing these forms. Can you please resubmit them? And then the third is in, in a couple of weeks here, uh, the government's actually increasing the fees for immigration uh, dramatically for uh, for families. So where the green card fees, I said, was seventeen sixty, it's going to go up by almost $1,000. And the naturalization fees are going to go up by almost $600 uh, for, the, for you to become new U.S. citizens. You know, as is, that, whole, is that an attempt to dissuade immigration or is that an attempt to make some fiscal decision? What is that decision and what's the basis for that? Yeah, the, the, the purported reason is a fiscal uh, decision that the agency isn't... Um, able to be solvent anymore. But if you were to actually think about it as a business, right, when, you, when you think about raising prices of business, you, you tend to want to raise prices on, on, on um, customers that have the highest ability to pay. So when they do things like raise naturalization fees by you know, $600, but raise H-1B fees that are paid for by companies by $100, uh, it, it just seems like a very poor set of business decisions. Um, and so, you know, uh, and then you combine that with them not adopting virtual uh, ceremonies for interviews and for oaths. And we just released a report that, that calculated that almost 300,000 people who otherwise would be able to vote in November uh, will not be naturalized in time to be able to register and vote. Well, that is a great segue because we're recording this, um, this podcast uh, just a couple months before the election, less than two months before the election. And I'm curious, how does the upcoming national election for President of the United States affect the immigration conversation? Because Donald Trump has taken a very decidedly different turn on immigration, a different view on immigration than his predecessor, Barack Obama. What do you see between Trump and Biden as it relates to immigration? I think that there's going to be three worlds that we're, we could live in. One is uh, President Trump wins re-election, in which case uh, we see this as continuation of the policies that his advisor, namely Stephen Miller and, and previously Steve Bannon, have been uh, pushing around reducing immigration as a whole. Uh, um, and you know, when all of the data suggests that uh, immigrants are net positive to the economy, um, and people who are having more security in their immigration status contribute more in taxes and they're more committed to their communities and their higher income. And as someone who, you know, who, who personally believes so strongly in this idea of the American dream, this part is, is very disappointing. Rate of international students, for example, um, and applications and in and, and admits uh, have declined for three years now in a row for the U.S., quote-unquote, best and brightest from around the world are not clamoring to come to the, to the U.S. and to institutions like Stanford, uh, then that will really hurt uh, our overall competitiveness when you look at, you know, half of Fortune 500 companies have been founded or, or being led by immigrants. You know, if Donald Trump wins, then it's four more years of additional complexity, higher fees, longer wait times. The, the amount of time it takes for people to become a U.S. citizen has doubled since, 19, uh, since 2016. If Joe Biden wins, there's two scenarios. You have one where in which uh, the Republicans can uh, maintain control of the Senate and the one when Democrats uh, 
flip the Senate. So if the Republicans control the Senate, our, our best prediction right now is that we'll be able to get in, finally, uh, a long-term resolution to the DACA dreamer situation. Uh, where uh, these kids who were brought over um, when they were young and basically grew up there, spent their entire life in the U.S., and now are on two-year sort of probationary rotations to be able to live here, stay here, go to school here, work here, when they have no, real no connection back to their home country. If Biden wins and the Dems win the Senate, uh, then one of their day one agenda items is comprehensive immigration reform, which uh, almost got passed in 2013. Um, and this is the part that is, is amazing to me, is that behind closed doors in Washington, D.C., if you had to ask people about immigration, 80% of the topics are ones that everyone agrees on that should be happening, right? There needs to be some H-1B reform. There needs to be something around the diversity, like lottery. As a whole, everyone agrees on some of these changes. Each side is sort of holding on to their like 10% you know, won't give up. And so we never actually get anything done, which is why the last time something meaningful has passed was 1965. Would you, in your business, rather have the more complexity remain? I mean, it's sort of an interesting thing for you because I think personally, you'd rather have the Biden immigration uh, policy. But from a business standpoint, is it better to have the Trump um, immigration policy because it's more complicated? Therefore, there's more of a need for a business like yours? I'm looking at this in the long run, and we can be flexible to either. We, you know, if, if Trump continues to win, then more people need help, and it's more complex, and we'll be there for help. And plus, if, uh, if Trump wins, then there will be more people going to more other countries. Right? So as I mentioned, Canada is now the fastest growing country for immigration uh, because uh, uh, they don't have some of the, the, the arcane their policies that we do. And it, we will you know, move quicker into helping people live their life wherever they want to live, but somewhere else that's not the U.S. Um, if Biden wins, then we'll be first to market with the best solutions for any of these new categories and any of these rule changes. Uh, where, you know, I see there's being such a need for help for families in times of uncertainty that any time that there are uh, that that will be able to thrive in either of these scenarios final question fast forward five years ten years whatever the right period of time is what is your dream for boundless where do you want it to be i, I built this and I, and you know i've gone through all of the different pains and sacrifices so far and the ones i'm going to make uh, with the idea that like winning here is to fundamentally transform an industry that hasn't changed in generations so you're a disruptor the, the, this idea that we're going for right now boundless around like and and i chose this name deliberately the idea is like i want people to not have any bounds when thinking about what to do with their life and for me there's a ceo that i admire greatly who every year does an evaluation of himself and says, am I the best person for this job? And I think that's like so like brave and like unegoistic of, of him to do so. I want to make sure that this entity like thrives and has meaningfully changed the lives of millions of people. Whatever role that I can be, that I'm the best position to help it get there um, is, is like what I am hoping for. Well, my hope is exactly the same as yours. I hope you actually achieve that dream. Shao, thank you so much for being on the show. Loved having you on it. Thank you, Howard. It was fun. Thank you for listening to Stanford Pathfinders on SiriusXM. Listen to this and other episodes anytime, on demand, 
with the SiriusXM app or wherever you find your podcasts.